This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. Volume 94, Number 1, from January of 2016. Reading, Using Masonic Perspective. Written by Carl A. Krauss. The author is a past Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Saskatchewan serving in 2012 and 13. In 2009, I presented a paper at Solomon Lodge of Research number 5986 of the Grand Lodge of Saskatchewan, which was entitled Kipling's Kim as a Masonic Novel. In the paper, I attempted to make the point that Kim can be read from several perspectives, including a Masonic perspective. Indeed, If one has Masonic background, the novel takes on a new dimension. It's no longer just a good novel. It has become a good Masonic novel, in that Masonic allusions are found in all chapters but one. Then, at a 2011 meeting of Solomon Lodge, I presented another paper, in which I explored the Masonic influences in yet another well-known writer, namely Mark Twain. Twain, a Mason, as was Rudyard Kipling, made frequent references to Masonic symbolism in stories such as The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. It is not my intention to repeat what I said in those two papers, but to show how Masonry infuses our thoughts and perspectives so that no matter what we read or observe, the principles and practices of Masonry influence whatever we are doing. Recently, I have had occasion to test that assumption when I least expected it. I have been rereading one of my favorite works, namely Geoffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. Well into the prologue, I came across a passage that had never previously caught my attention, namely a passage about five men that were all associated with a guild hall. But I'm already ahead of myself. The Canterbury Tales, written about 1390, is a story about 32 people, 27 men and 5 women, who go on a religious pilgrimage from Southwark, which is south and across the Thames from London, east to Canterbury, a distance of perhaps 50 miles. The reason for their pilgrimage is to visit the shrine of St. Thomas. They are a motley crew, a knight a squire, a yeoman of the guards, a couple of nuns, the wife of Bath, a clerk, a sergeant of law, several shady characters, as well as five skilled tradesmen, men who would be found in a guild hall. It was while reading about these five tradesmen that my curiosity was piqued. The following are but a few lines of what Chaucer had to say about them. An aberdasher and a carpenter a web, a dyer, and a tapisser were with us, each clothed in livery, of a solemn and great fraternity. Well seemed each of him a fair burgess. 
to sitten in a guild hall on a dais, ever rich for the wisdom that he can, was shapely for to bin an alderman. So, what was there that prompted me to take a second look? Chaucer describes these men as similarly clothed, in a livery, as members of a fraternity, a solemn and great fraternity, as respectable citizens, each of them a fair burgess, and as men of status in the guild hall, because they were seated on a dais. Sitting in a guild hall on a dais. My first thought was, could these men be masons? The answer is no. But there are certain similarities to masonry as practiced at that time. That is, as members of a guild, there were similarities to masonry, both then and now. Guilds had a number of features in common. Members were bound by ordinances that reflected their common interests, and guilds tended to be much more inclusive of women than were other social groupings. All of them had a pronounced religious dimension. They thus provided an alternative to family and other social networks, much as they offered an alternative to the rigors of social hierarchy. The guilds also crossed the boundary between the living and the dead by commemorating deceased members in prayer and ritual. The sense of fellowship and continuity, of the guilds sui generis and in its own time frame, was further enhanced by the particular history of its origins, which a guild might possess and celebrate. Although we don't know this for certain, these men, because of their diverse occupations, four cloth workers and a carpenter, were probably members of a parish guild rather than a craft guild. In a parish guild, members were associated with acts of piety and mutual welfare. My discovery of this passage in the prologue reminded me of the Regius poem, written about the same time as the Canterbury Tales, around 1390. That poem has also now taken on a new and different dimension because it reminds me that operative masonry in all likelihood evolved from a craft guild. After all, we still refer to our lodges as craft lodges. In summary, whether we're working our way through a manuscript written more than 600 years ago, or reading a passage from the Book of Kings, or the writings of one of our favorite authors, we may well encounter glimpses of the craft when we least expect it. Such is the pervasive nature of masonry. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherhood.